Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, September 3rd, 2021. This is Shannon, and I'm here with Stacy, Brooke, and Natalia, and we are talking about found family. This is something that comes up a lot on the podcast, like just in books that we tend to discuss, so I figured it would be very cool if we could just devote an episode to some of our favorite novels that explore found family. So Stacy is going to start us off followed by Brooke, then me, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. I love found family. It's like one of my favorite things in books. Anytime there's even a glimpse of found family, I get really excited. And I have to like talk about it on the podcast and I have to say things about there's found family. I always have to mention it when it's in a book. And one of the books that does this so well, so very well is written in red. The others book one, I know by Anne Bishop. This book is about Meg Corbin and she's a young woman on the run from what at first we are not quite sure, but she's on the run in a snowstorm. This book is, um, I don't know if you classify it necessarily as like high fantasy, but it's alternate world essentially. And it's yet- like the urban fantasy feel in a world that is more like like epic fantasy or high fantasy, but it definitely has that, yeah, that like, US urban fantasy feel. Yeah. And it's sort of like an alternate earth sort of feeling. Um, so Meg Corbin is a human and she is on the run from something that sounds very dreadful. And she's running for her life in the midst of this giant snowstorm. And she stumbles into this courtyard and she sees a sign that lets her know that it is a courtyard that is run by the others. And those are all of the different sort of paranormal creatures, if you will, of the world. There's um, shifters and vampires and elementals and other very, very interesting folk who live together in this courtyard. And all human law does not apply there. So Meg goes into the bookstore asking for a job because, oh my gosh, she is trying to get away from human law. And Meg is very interesting. She's very naive and gentle and kind and sort of childlike and acts in many ways as though she's someone who's never been on her own before. And the others, the shifters and the vampires and the elementals, they don't really know what to make of Meg Corbin, who does everything in her power. Instead of actively fearing them, she does everything in her power to try to make their lives in this courtyard a little bit easier for them by making sure they get their mail and their packages because she becomes their human liaison between the others and all humankind, um, but particularly in terms of mail and post and packages. And Meg at first has a very contentious relationship with the leader of the courtyard, Simon Wolfgard, who PS is kind of hot. And I know I do too. And You know, but the longer she's in the courtyard, the more and more the others begin to sort of adopt her into their circle and to kind of not see her as 
human and pray, but to see her as someone who needs their protection, who needs their loyalty, who needs their just kindness. And she gives the kindness back to them. And this is a story arc that spans four books, the story of Meg Corbin. And there's a lot of, oh, five. Oh my gosh. It is five, isn't it? And there's so much about her that I don't want to give away, but what I will say, no, because the most beautiful thing about this series is the very kind of slow unfurling of information. It's slow burn in terms of how Meg kind of becomes part of this found family, how she brings all of these different groups within the others, how she brings them together to form more of a family unit. And that takes a while to actually happen. So all I will tell you is this book, this series is epic. It's gorgeous. There's a very, very slow burn romance. There's a lot of found family. There's strong female friendships. There's building of relationships between the others and other humans because of Meg Corbin and her impact on the courtyard, which is far flung and far reaching. Yes. And really, I I know. And like, I just don't know how to talk about this book anymore without giving away too much. So all I'm going to say is if you want something as our dear Mika likes to say, that is a giant hug in a book or is a big book hug, you need to read this series again. Yes. yes, Again, it is written and read the others book one by Ann Bishop. Love, love, love. It's so there good. are the five Megan Simon books. Then there are two books that are separate and a third separate book coming in 2022. I'm so excited. I need Crow more of the bones. others in my life. Crow bones. But written and read is the very first. And this is not yes. a book you can read um, out of order. This is no. a series um, that has a story arc that spans all the books. So you have to most of the books. So you you just need to start from the beginning and be swept away by the absolute perfection that is the series. My first book tonight is by an author that I learned of this year. Um, I'm pretty sure it's there. And I've just, I've been gobbling up her books. Um, Some of her series are better than others, but like, I would definitely say she's, if you like humor in your books, then she's definitely somebody to check out. So this is KF Breen and she's got an awesome Facebook group. Um, And the book that I'm going to talk about, or I guess I'll introduce the series first, because the series is kind of where the found family is found. It's not this specific book. It's the series overarching. So um, the book is Born in Fire, and the overarching series is Demon Days and Vampire Nights. And what she's done is she's broken the series down into kind of like two or three books, and then each of those two or three books can be called they're like have their own series title so it's kind of confusing but she's also now started on the one at least on goodreads it actually says like so this is the fire and ice trilogy but then it also says um the demon days and vampire nights number one so in this book we are introduced to reagan And Regan is a supernatural bounty hunter. And it's not a job that, as as it says in the, I thought this was funny, in the synopsis, it's not a a job that you would find on LinkedIn. No. (laughs) So she's out trying to get this, nab this guy. And as she's doing this, she's interrupted by a elder vampire named Darius and he ends up stealing her bounty um and that's this is the problem because Regan doesn't have a lot of money like she lives in a rundown part of the city and she kind of lives like kind of from paycheck to paycheck or I guess bounty to bounty 
So she really needs this person. Um, so she ends up arranging with Darius that if she helps him out with this problem that he's having, that she'll get he'll give her the bounty. So of course, like she's really got no choice, right? Um, because she needs the money. So in this book, you get to meet a lot of different characters. And we meet Susie and Callie. So they're like an older um, dual mage group, dual mage pair. Um, they're married and they're both, um, they're both um, witches, not witches, but like magical people. And they're friends with um, Regan. Um, Callie really, really tries to take care. Like they almost kind of take care of Regan in a way um, because Callie was really good friends with Regan's mom. And um, Regan had a bit of a, a rough upbringing. Um, they didn't have a lot of money and her mom just wanted her to, like she wanted her to be able to survive. So she really tested her magical abilities so that she would be able to take care of herself. Um, and like in this book, we learn some things about Regan and her powers, and we learn kind of why her mom was a little bit harder on her. So as this series goes on, like the overarching, like this series as well as the overarching, we get to meet different characters, and you kind of realize that these characters are probably going to have books of their own, which is what ends up happening. And in each of the different um, like character books, we get to see the different characters that we saw in other books. So like Regan, she appears pretty much in all, I think it's 10, it's going to be 11 soon, um, books of the Demon Days um, Vampire Nights series. So she appears in all of them and she's freaking hilarious. Like she's a very kick-ass heroine. Um, she takes, she, um, She's not the typical, like, damsel in distress. Like, if anything, I would say, like, sometimes Darius ends up being the damsel in distress, which I think is hilarious. Um, in some of the future books, we'll meet character, other characters. So we'll meet another dual mage pair. And, we'll, and some of the things that she puts Penny through is pretty hilarious. So I highly highly recommend this series sadly the last book comes out on september 10th so i'm um, i'm actually even though i just recently read this series i'm kind of tempted to read all 10 of the books before it comes out Start but we'll over. see what happens <laughs> i know i really really feel like it because i'm just i just love the character so much so it makes me really really sad that it's coming to an end but i guess as in all things, it must come to an end. So this is Born in Fire, Fire and Ice, trilogy number one, but it's also book one of the Demon Days Vampire Nights series. And it is by K.F. Breen. And honestly, I love all of her stuff. Like she's got another series called Midlife mate is it midlife mayhem? Midlife Midlife Madness? Midlife Madness. That one also has this whole sense of fan family. Like you meet different characters and they're always there for each other. So I would definitely say um Breen writes found family like very, very well. So my first book tonight um kind of flows nicely from Brooke's first book. <laughs> So this is Keystone Crossbreed, book one by Danica Dark. And Danica Dark has written, let's see, two of her series are complete and two are still kind of in, in progress, but they are all set in the same universe. Um, so like to get the best sense of this world, you would want to go back and start like from the beginning with... Um, Sterling, which is book one of a series called Madgery. But for the purposes of this episode, I think her crossbreed books really do 
some cool things with found family. So we are going to talk about Keystone and then I will kind of give some hints as to kind of how the series develops. But Keystone is the story of Raven Black and Raven is part vampire and part mage. But this is a combination that is almost like illegal. Like you are not supposed to be two different um, like breeds of oh supernatural. Like that's no good. Oh, so you're not allowed to be, you're, like it's not your fault. No, but it's very bad. <laughs> so Raven has kind of been trying to stay under the radar. Um, she does some kind of like private investigator work, but she really tries to stay away from the people in power. So she's a little bit concerned when she's contacted by this man named Victor, who says that he has a job for her in kind of this elite like agency of like supernatural investigators. And so she's kind of concerned that this is going to put her in jeopardy because now she's going to be like sort of, you know, right in front of all these people who will then know her secret. And that's, she doesn't know that that's safe. But life kind of on her own is proving really difficult for Raven. And so even though she's not sure it's the best idea, she figures she can at least see what Victor has to offer. And if she doesn't like it, she doesn't have to stay. So she starts to work for this company, which is called Keystone. And the thing about Keystone is that all of its... um, I guess, members, for lack of a better word, have to live together in this big house. And so it sort of forces you to get to know the people on your team, like, really well. And for Raven, this is at first really uncomfortable. Um, The person that she's going to be working the closest with is a vampire named Christian Poe. And if you have read the Madri books, you will know Christian from... um, his, his presence there, but he is not a big fan of Ravens. And there's a part of him that would really like to see her fail and like be kicked out of the agency and just go away. Aww. There's just something about him. I mean, about her that rubs him the wrong way. But as they begin to work together and Raven very slowly throughout, not just this book, but the other books in the series begins to let down her guard and understand that she can trust and rely on the fellow members of Keystone. Um, You know, his feelings start to change, as do hers. And they really do make a nice family unit, not just Christian and Raven, but all of the other members of Keystone as well. And so you get to see bits and pieces from various points of view Um, throughout the series. Raven is the main character in almost all of these books, although, like I said, you do get to see things from other people's perspectives as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Danica Dark. I think her original, like, Madri books are my favorites, but I do like pretty much everything she's written. So this is Keystone, and it's Crossbreeds, book one, by Danica Dark. I definitely need to check her out. Yes, I think you'll like her a lot. She's very cool. Very nice. Like, you know, urban fantasy. Yeah. Like supernatural stuff. So the first book I'm going to talk about today is a new author for me. uh, And it's called The People We Keep by Alison Larkin. And this book it's really cool. It actually takes place in Little River, New York, 1994. And it's about um, April Soyaki. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Oh, my goodness. Um, and she's basically living in a motorhome with her dad. Except the motorhome is motorless. <laughs> and her father won it in a poker game. Get this. So April is currently failing out of school, so she's working more, picking up more and more shifts at at a diner, and most of the time she's left fending for herself. Mind you, she's been living in a town where, even though she's been there all her life, she's never really felt like she belonged there. One day she decides to borrow her 
neighbor's car to perform at an open mic night. And when she gets to this uh, really awesome event, it kind of changes her life and her, her outlook on things. And she decides that she can be much bigger than, than where she came from. And naturally, she has a huge blow-up fight with her dad. And she packs up all her stuff. And she leaves on a journey to find her own life and the meaning uh, to her own life. And basically, she goes all over the place and meets so many people that feel like home. And she's chronicling this in songs that she's writing and lyrics and in her journey, she discovers that the life she came from doesn't have to define what she has to be. So this is such a great book about found family, found friendships, um, coming from nothing and becoming something. I enjoyed it so, so, so very much because, um, you know, if you don't belong, you can always find where you belong and you can choose to belong where it feels right for you. And um, that's one of the things I love most about found family. So this is The People We Keep by Alison Larkin. So when Shannon approached us and we were talking about a found family episode, there was a book I knew I had to talk about, had to. And it's a book that was like so deliciously delightful, made me so happy in my heart during a rough winter And I have to talk about Love at First by Kate Claiborne. This is a contemporary romance, kind of slash women's fiction-y type book. And it focuses on Will. Because you see, Will, Will has a lot going on in his life. He's a doctor and he's sort of a loner. And 16 years ago, when he was a teenager, he was visiting this apartment building where the story, a lot of it takes place. and. He basically fell in love with a girl that he never saw up on a balcony. He could just hear her voice through the potted plants on the balcony. And he was just very enraptured by her laugh and what she said and her just her zest for life. Well, that day did not turn out well for Will. And Will has really strong feelings of hate and resentment for this apartment building and this apartment and this apartment was left to him in a will and so will has decided that what he has to do is clean out this apartment and then he's going to turn it into like a short-term rental situation so it's going to constantly flip from person to person and then he's going to go back to being a doctor and he's not going to think about it anymore can i have like an airbnb Basically, yes, in this apartment. (laughs) So Nora, Nora loves this apartment building. She loves the tradition. She loves the peeling gold wallpaper. She loves everything about it. She loves that she spent time here with her grandmother as a child. And now she lives here, carrying on all the traditions, loving all of the mid-century charm. Everything about it. Nothing should change. Nothing. No, nothing. And then Will comes in and he's going to start renovating this apartment. He's going to have like different renters there every other day. And she is so upset by this because not only does she love her apartment because of what it signifies to her and how it makes her remember her grandmother, but all of the people in this building are like a family. They do things together. They look out for each other. They have dinners together. They have big get-togethers in the courtyard. They have meetings in the laundry room. They just love each other. And here comes Will, and he's going to just upset the apple cart. He's going to change the dynamic. He wants new renters all the time. And how are they supposed to continue on in a situation like this? So she begins to lightly sabotage his plans, doing little things at every turn. And he tries to get her to change. But in the meantime... They have these pre-dawn conversations where they can't see each other from their balconies. And, you know, during these conversations, they begin to feel like they, you know, might have something more than just 
two rivals trying to fight about this apartment building. And throughout this book, we get to know the other tenants within this building, and they all have formed this very strong, supportive family unit. Like I said, they all get together for different, you know, parties and different dinners and they, they look out for each other. You know, some of the people in the building are older, so they're going to, you know, kind of keep their eyes on those people. They're all this very wonderful, supportive force. And at one point they all decide they're going to gang up on Will to show him how amazing this building is and how wonderful it would be if he would join their found family unit within this little apartment building. This book is one of the most delightful and charming things I have read. It was my introduction to Kate Claiborne and her work and her writing that is so immersive and just is so lovely. And these characters that basically jump off the page at you because they feel so fleshed out and three-dimensional and so like they could be your friends. This book was absolutely amazing. Read it for the charming romance. Read it for the found family aspect of a whole group of eclectic tenants who come together as a family because most of them don't have a lot of family outside of this group that they have forged together. This is Love at First by Kate Claiborne and it is gorgeous. So please read it. This is on my list. It makes me so very happy. So my next book is by Suzanne Wright and it's a burn dark in you number one. So again, the dark in you series is where you'll see the found family. Like that's kind of the way that I'll pretty much all of my books go. Um, It's not so much specifically the, like this first book that I'm going to talk about, but it's more the overarching series itself like each book you get like so you meet a bunch of the characters in this first book so the first book's the main character is harper wallace and harper is part of lair so she's part of a lair that is um full of imps um and she's not an imp herself but you find out later like what exactly she is and her grandmother is like the prime. So like the boss of the, um, of the uh, lair and her name is Jolene Wallace and she is freaking hilarious. Like the imps in general, like they are so funny. Like they, the things they do or like when somebody does something to one of Jolene's family members, then you better watch out. Like they are right there and they're going to kick your butt. Like really that's, that's exactly the, what's going to happen. Um, so Harper Wallace, um, she is a tattoo artist and she has a business with her two friends and she lived, she grew up with her grandmother because her, her mother kind of left and then her father being an imp was just not really father material. So he dropped her off with her grandmother. And so she grew up with the imps, even though, as I said, she's not an imp herself. And in this world, everyone has to kind of find, it's called like their anchor. Um, And the reason for this is because it's believed that if you don't find your anchor, then your demon could go like rogue. And you really like rogue demons are not a good thing. So everyone, you don't really know who your anchor is going to be like until you meet them and your demon and their demon kind of like, hmm, right? So she's kind of living her life doing her thing and then she finds out that Knox Thorne who is like this mysterious prime of another um of another organization I'm sorry another lair and we don't we also don't know what his powers are like 
nobody really knows. They just know he's very, very powerful. Well, they realize that they're actually anchors. Um, they're each other's anchors. And they're not sure like about this, but they're also not against it. So it's really interesting to see like their kind of their relationship develop because at first they're not so sure and they don't really jump into it real fast. They kind of just let it go and get to know each other. And um, this is really different for Knox because being the most powerful prime out there, he's so used to getting what he wants. And well, he's decided that he should have Harper and Harper's not so sure about this. So this is Burn, Dark in You, number one, and it's by Suzanne Wright. I need to check this out and also her uh, like Phoenix Pack series. Yeah, I'm also, I'm also reading. Um, so it also takes place in the Deep in Your Veins world. So I think ah. the Deep in Your Veins world, the Deep in Your Veins series is probably actually the first one you should read that you're supposed to read. But like I so far, like I've read two or three books out of that one. And I don't really, I don't think it matters. So I'm taking a hard right turn here and moving away <laughs> from fantasy. And we are going to talk about The Second Life of Muriel West by Amanda Scanandor. This is historical fiction set in the 1920s in both Louisiana and a teeny tiny bit in California. So Muriel West is the wife of a silent movie star. And he is really, really famous. Um, he wants to keep advancing in the industry. So, you know, things are are kind of hectic for him. He's a part of all of the kind of glittering Hollywood parties and Muriel is always on his arm. However, when she is diagnosed with leprosy, all of that changes and she is sent against her will to Louisiana to a hospital known as Carville. And this hospital is set up essentially like a town and it is a leper colony. Apparently in the late, the latter part of the 19th century and for quite a while in the 20th century, the United States government rounded up people who were known as lepers and sent them to various, um, various leper colonies that were set up across the country. Um, for more information on this um, you can read a book called Molokai by Alan Brennert. And that one takes a really, really close look at um, one of the most well-known leper colonies in Hawaii. But I have this that one, one in my thing. I, in I, that's a book I want to read. Oh, the, the Molokai. Molokai. I actually, yes. yeah. Yeah, that, that was a very, very good book. Very sad, but very good. But this one focuses on the colony in Louisiana. And Muriel is not really sure, like, even what leprosy is. And she doesn't really believe that she has it at first. You know, she, she doesn't feel sick. Um, sure, she has, like, some odd skin lesions that kind of randomly show up. But that's hard for her to understand that, like, because of that, she has been sort of cast out of society. And for a long time, she sort of holds on to this dream that one day she will be able to return to her to her life as you know a, a wife and a mother. Um, and yet, you know that's that's not possible. She is not allowed to leave the grounds of Carville. And at first, you know, she doesn't want to really settle in. She doesn't want to make a life for herself here because she thinks that eventually she'll be able to leave. But as time passes and as she becomes more and more kind of reluctantly drawn in to the lives of her fellow residents of Carville, she realizes that this is going to be where she lives for the foreseeable future. And she really needs to do something to give her life purpose. And so she devotes herself to trying to find a cure for leprosy. And, you know, Muriel is not always a super likable character. Um, she can be selfish. She can be a little bit petty. 
Um, but I really admired, you know, once she figured out that this was kind of the way her life was going to go, um, I really admired her her ability to like dig in and find something that mattered to her. Um, she doesn't always do the right thing. In fact, sometimes she does the very wrong thing. Um, and it, it's sad in, in places, but it also makes her just a really human character and I think much more relatable. She does form kind of a family unit with some of the other residents of Carville. And I think that's one of the best elements of this book is how these people who come from very different life circumstances forge a family. And even though it's not a family, you know, formed by blood, it is the thing that kind of sees them all through. Um, this was a really powerful book. I read it in a little bit over a day. Um, Amanda Scanandor has written a couple of other historical novels that I want to check out. But this one is The Second Life of Muriel West by Amanda Scanandor. Sounds really interesting. I liked it. The next book I want to talk about is, of course, by the marvelous, marvelous, marvelous Karen Rose. And as much as I'm a stickler for order, I'm going to talk about her latest novel, Say Goodbye. Now, the really awesome thing about Say Goodbye, other than the fact that it's, you know, yummy, yummy goodness and suspenseful and delicious, is it's kind of like a coming to a head type of book because if you're like me and you've been following Karen Rose since Don't Tell, which is the beginning, it kind of circles around to all those characters we were missing from the beginning and what happens to that found family plus the characters we've been reading about in the last uh, like four or five books. And of course, it's Shannon's favorite kind of book because it's all about the cult. Uh, so this book is about a cult named Eden, and Eden has been hidden in the remote wilds of the Pacific uh, Northwest, and Pastor managing to keep all these people tamed and basically under his thumb. Pastor is the leader of this cult, and basically he does it for, of course, personal profit, because why, why else wouldn't you do that? But... The founding elders are splintering and his surrogate son has decided to go on a rampage. And, um, you know, he, he's just wanted by the FBI. I mean, he's killed people. He's just completely gone outside of anybody's control. And at this point, uh, two of Eden's members discover that there's a computer hidden somewhere and they ask for help. They send an email that asks for help which reaches FBI Special Agent Tom Hunter, whose friend and fellow FBI agent, which we read about in another book, Gideon Reynolds, and his sister Mercy were also victims of this cult, Eden, and they're targeted by the founding members who want them silent forever. And now, finally, finally, after hunting and hunting for this cult, they have a solid lead. But... When Tom's best friend, ex-army combat medic, Liza Barkley, joins the case, it puts everything in danger. Because everything that they hold dear is in the balance, and Tom and Liza must end Eden once and for all. So, um, yes, this is a thriller. Yes, it's suspense. It's romantic suspense. But what I really love about Karen Rose is her, her ability to... Uh, just flesh out her characters together and individually as far as, you know, what they are for each other. Um, here we read about a family, the Zakolov family, and together they had like seven children. And then they've like basically adopted all their kids' friends and just, you know, everybody kind of finds a place to belong and uh, acceptance for exactly who they are in this place. And it, it's really great. And then you know, uh, Tom Hunter's mother's best friend, which we don't see much of in the book, but we hear about what she does. Uh, she's from the early part of the series, and she is a director of a shelter for uh, women and children. And so she's uh, among 
you know, over the years, she's adopted a lot of people that she's helped rescue and made a family out of that. So I just, I just really like Karen Rose's, um, she, it, it's awesome because I feel like she values found family and biological family too, when it's, you know, when it's possible to value. So this is Say Goodbye by Karen Rose, and it's sold everywhere because it's already out. Woo! Uh, but if you want to read this series in some sort of order, the first book is way back and it's called Don't Tell. And mind you, these are um, th these books that she has. Yeah, it's like one whole series called Romantic Suspense, and it has like 20 books. But it's really, I would say, maybe divided into like trilogies and sometimes quartets of different, uh, I guess the word is cities. And each quartet kind of has like a, a story arc as far as uh, what what they're looking for what mystery they're investigating and this would be probably the end of the eden and sacramental story arc so i'm looking forward to seeing what's coming up next for for miss rose i love talking about books by sarah lyons fleming and i use every opportunity that i possibly can and it's been a while since i've talked about yes. a post-apocalyptic Perfection, which are the books by Sarah Lyons Fleming. But today I'm going to talk about Mordacious, the city series book one. Again, in case I haven't mentioned her name enough, shout out, Sarah Lyons Fleming. This book is about Sylvie. And Sylvie has had a very difficult life. Um, her mother is an addict um, and her childhood was pretty stark and challenging. And at the very beginning of the book, Sylvie is sitting in the hospital room of her mother who is in the process of passing away. Sylvie is joined in her mother's hospital room by her best friend, Grace. And they are there to, you know, just be there as her mother passes away. Well, things don't go so well for Sylvie and Grace as they exit. Sylvie's mother's hospital room upon her passing. Because in the time they sat in there with the door closed, the world went straight to shit. And now there are zombies roaming the hall of their hospital. And they're kind of trapped in the cafeteria of the hospital with a group of people for a significant amount of time as they try to figure out how they're going to escape from a very, very bad situation. But finally, with the help of several others, Sylvie and Grace escape the hospital filled with zombies. And they get to the apartment that is owned by the friend of one of the people they, they left with. I'm not going to try to go into all their names because that would just be confusing for everyone who hasn't read the book. So they, they end up at this apartment. Um, and it's uh, basically... Um, the apartment of a family who were a group of preppers. So they have like tons of food and tons of supplies. And even though New York city has been cut off from the rest of the world by the bridges being blown up, they have enough supplies to kind of see them through the next few months of the apocalypse. So I could talk about like all of the rotten zombies that she writes so well. I could talk about all of the looting and pillaging of New York city that happens I could talk about all of the ways in which the world changed in a very short period of time. But tonight, because we're here to talk about found family, I'm going to talk about how it took an apocalypse for Sylvie to find a place where she felt like she belonged with this assortment of people who most of whom are not related, none of whom are related to each other. But they form a very tight family unit and learn how to work as a group, interact as a group, and how to help each other to not only survive, but to thrive in this apocalyptic world. But for Sylvie, this is not easy. She's very prickly. She's very closed off. She's not comfortable interacting with people. And so as she's trying to figure out how to live in this world 
where nothing is as it was a few days ago, a few weeks ago. She's also learning how to coexist in a small space with a bunch of people that until the apocalypse, she did not know, but now feel more like family to her than the family that she was born into. This is an amazing series. It is um, probably the best post-apocalyptic zombie fiction I've ever read in my life. Um, it's a lot of action. It's fast paced. It's gory. There's some romance. Um, and most of all, it's about a group of people learning how to survive in a very changed world. And it um, will make you, you cry. It will make you cry at points, but it'll also warm your heart. It'll also make you scream. Um, it's everything. And I would say there, um, there's two trilogies that are completed until the end of the world, which was the first trilogy that was written. And then the trilogy that dovetails with that one is the city series. And they have related characters in the two. Um, and you could start with either trilogy, but I would say if you're going to be uh, true to series order, which is what would make Natalia happy, I would say to read them beginning with Until the End of the World. But this, my friends, is Mordacious, the city series book one by Sarah Lyons Fleming, and it is everything. So if you like action, adventure, gore, romance, suspense, all of it pick up all of the until the end of the world and the city series books by Sarah Lyons Fleming found family explodes in these books. Yes. Yes, it does. So my last book is nice girls don't have fangs. Jane Jameson, number one by Molly Harper. So the reason I'm starting here is because you kind of need to read the Jane Jameson books before you can move on to the um, Half Moon Hollow series. But in order for you to get a good glimpse into some of the characters, um, such as Jane Jameson and Dick Cheney, you kind of need to read the Jane Jameson books. Um, Similar to the other two series I talked about, the series, the Hackman Hollow slash Jane Jameson series together, that's where you find the found family. Like each book um, after you get, like you, you meet a lot of people that become her family in the Jane Jameson books. But then when you go on to the Half Moon Hollow series, then you get to see like, some of the characters that you met in the Jane Jemison series, you get to learn their stories. And then you see how they all become this big, happy family. And I just, like, again, these books are hilarious. Um, I wasn't always into humor. I honestly have to say, I think she's probably the first author that I've ever read where it was just really humorous. Like, I, I busted a gut a few times like it was it was so funny like just the things that happened so for example so Jean um she was a librarian and she gets like um and instead of getting a severance he gives her like get out of here like he's really not very good so she goes off to the bar and decides to get completely blitzed like she is out of her mind drunk and she's walking home and one of the wild residents in her area mistakes her for a deer and shoots her and so thankfully there was a vampire that had been watching her at the bar his name is gabriel and he gives her the choice, would you like to become a vampire or do you want to die? Because she's dying, right? Um, and she decides that she's going to take, um, she's going to become a vampire. So she does. And then she wakes up and, of course, she's got a thirst for blood now. And this kind of causes her a little bit of trouble because now she's, she's not really sure that her parents are going to accept it. 
So she's got to pretend that she's still the same old Jane. Um, and like one thing, like her mom likes to make these casseroles all the time. So she just keeps just like shoving it in her freezer. Um, and <laughs> her best friend, his name is Zeb and he is so cool. So like his way of dealing with this whole change is she, he joins a um, support group because he wants to learn how to support her. Like they've known each other since they were really young kids. And instead of like being like, oh my God, you're a vampire, I'm out of here. He's like, no, I, I'm going to find out how to be a good friend to you, which I thought was really neat. Um, she gets this like supernatural welcoming committee um, comes and they start introducing her to the world, to her new world. And of course, being in Kentucky and Southern charm, you get a lot of the interest, the, the entertaining things that goes along with that. Um, I really, really enjoy these books. As I said, they're hilarious. Um, but also there's just such a, they're so refreshing. Like, I honestly feel like I really needed that. I read them um, last year around Christmas time. And I just needed something that was just kind of happy, kind of um, interesting, but happy. So this is Nice Girls Don't Have Fangs, Jane Jameson, number one, and it's by Marley Harper. I think I'm the only person on this podcast who has not hopped on the Molly Harper train. I tried, I did, and I, I just cannot get into her books. All right. So my last pick is another kind of hard right turn. This is <laughs> All the Children Are Home by Patry Francis. Francis um, was originally a poet but started writing novels in the early 2000s. I believe she has three of them now, and this one is the latest. So this takes place in the late 1950s into the 1960s in a small city in Massachusetts. Um, we follow a family, a foster family, and there are three children who live in this house um, when the story starts. Um, Zadie, John and Jimmy have all been with um, the foster parents, Delia and Louie, for several years. And so this is really, you know, they've settled in, they've made this their home. Um, a six-year-old girl is brought to the home and her name is Agnes. No one really knows a lot about her past. Um, she has obviously come from a pretty traumatizing situation. Um, at first, like she doesn't really... She doesn't really seem to speak. Um, and it's pretty clear to the family that there's, you know, just a lot of stuff going on that they haven't been told about. And what this book does is follows this family for the next decade or so. And we look at the ways in which they kind of band together to, to help Agnes and to kind of embrace her fully into this, this family unit that they have formed. All of these people, both um, the parents, Delia and Louie, and all of the foster children carry quite a bit of emotional baggage. And we get to know bits and pieces of that as the story unfolds and kind of how it shapes them into the, you know, into the people that we, that we know. Um, Agnes is an indigenous child living in a primarily white community. And so we look at racism, we look at classism, um, we look at mental health. I spend a lot of time looking at trauma. So if you don't want to read books that, you know, take a deep look at things like abuse, neglect, um, and basically, you know, kind of the, the crap show that is the American foster system, um, this might not be a good pick for you. But I really was drawn to the kind of rawness of Frances's writing. I think she doesn't pull any punches and yet the story feels, at least in parts, like very, very effortless 
um, you get the sense that the author was very invested in each of these characters and brought them to life really, really beautifully. I don't think we pay enough attention, um, especially in fiction, to foster families and, you know, the important role that foster families play just sort of in society as a whole. And so I was really excited to pick this up and kind of get to know, you know, what um, Patrick Francis imagined a foster family might have been like in the 1950s. So this is All the Children Are Home by Patry Francis. The last book I'm going to talk about tonight is one of my favorite, 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 favorite found family novels. And I've actually been meaning to talk about it for years in the podcast and it just has never happened for me. So who writes found family better than Nora Roberts? I have always said that I love Nora Roberts' ability to depict family, family dialogue, family squabbling, just everything about how Nora Roberts writes family does it for me. It takes all the boxes. But this particular trilogy is dear to my heart. It's called Daring to Dream. Uh, the Dream Trilogy, book one is the first book. Um, and it's three books. So this trilogy is, you know, one book per person. And these books are about Kate, Laura, and Margot. And Laura is a Templeton. Laura and Josh are siblings. And they live in this grandiose house called the Templeton House. <laughs> and Margot is the daughter of the housekeeper. And Kate is a cousin whose parents died when she was very young. So the Templetons took her in and raised her. Of course, naturally, the girls were all the same age, and they became the best of friends. Except uh, Mar this particular book is about Margot, and Margot's dreams took her away from Templeton House. You know, she had everything a young woman could ask for, but while growing up in the Templeton House in Monterey, she couldn't help dreaming of bigger things for her life. You know, um... Even though she had been treated like a member of a family. But she knew deep down that money could not buy the things that she craved most. Which was her mother's acceptance. But maybe things would be better for her if she was sweet like Lara. Or she was brainy like Kate. But the only thing Margot knew how to be was herself. And that always means doing things her own way no matter what the consequences are. And when our story starts, Margot comes back home because she's uh, suffered some sort of setback that I won't get into. And she's going to have to figure out, you know, which, you know, she's kind of like at a crossroads in her life. And she's going to have to figure out what she wants for her life and where her life is going to go. So I really, really enjoy the way these women get along. Uh, I enjoy the just the idea of like this big old house on the cliffs of Monterey, which is a place I don't read about so much. And um, there's actually a story about some hidden treasure. And of course, the romances are all wonderful. My favorite romance is Laura's romance at the end, the last book. But uh, I, I very much enjoy it. And actually talking about this trilogy makes me want to read it again. <laughs> so this is Daring to Dream, Dream Trilogy. Book one, and I have to say, I also really love these titles, Daring to Dream, Holding the Dream, Finding the Dream. Uh, I just, I really, really, really enjoy the dynamic of female friendships, as I said, found family, um, working working on each other's or um, working on inner and personal demons and just the, the complete unity in these novels is just everything for me. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And that rounds off this episode. Thank you to Brooke, to Stacy, and to Natalia for coming up with some fantastic found family books. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, we thank all of you for joining us each week as we talk about fantastic books.
If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.